This is Off the Record with Big C and Slim Nick. Well, yes, it is Off the Record. And yes, it is Big C. But no, sadly, it's not Slim Nick again. He's still recovering. Uh, So he's got his feet up somewhere, maybe listening to us, I don't really know. But his absence is covered uh, with a welcome. I can welcome back uh, two returning guests. One uh, from last week, in fact, back so soon, live from Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Uh, It's uh, singer, songwriter, guitarist, Austin Dunmore. Hi, thanks for joining us again so early in the morning. What is it now? 7.42 a.m. Thursday morning then? That's right. Uh, first day after the uh, spring equinox. So yeah. uh, it's officially spring for me here. <sighs> as, we uh, enter, as we enter the winter probably. the winter months, it's very soon anyway. You've got the sun again. You always have the sun anyway. Well, yeah, it's getting getting more intense uh, all the time. Yeah. With, with that strategically placed uh, beam, so you can actually see the screen, I suspect. I had the builders put that in, especially for this podcast. Oh, good. This is what I like. Dedication to the duty. Um, well, I, I, thanks for coming on again. It's great to have you back on. It's um, great to be here. Yeah. Good. Thanks. And the other guest I have on is returning for his third show, actually. Indeed. So he's probably on a par with how many Slim Nicks appeared on, actually, over the last two, <laughs> two months, to be fair. <laughs> um, it's my uh, good buddy, Prog Pete. From uh, Buckinghamshire in uh, in the UK, um, Pete Willis, not the Pete Willis who is the composer and songwriter in Def Leppard. No, a completely different Pete Willis. But a completely different Pete Willis who, who just happens to be a good buddy and he knows his stuff. Both of these guys, uh, it's good to have you back on, Pete. Anyway, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Both of these guys, music aficionados that can we can we can rabbit on. With our theme of the day, which, as you both know, we're going to be uh, we're having our first in a series of what I've called, and we really need a jingle for this, a year in rock. Um, a year in rock. And we're going to start at the very top, many would say, actually, 50 years ago, believe it or not, um, and the year being 1971. Many albums released that al- uh, that year, as everyone will find out. Um, many seminal albums released in that year. Uh, what is often uh, cited as rock's golden uh, year of 1971. As David Hepworth called, uh, or wrote, sorry, in his book, respected journo and ex-host of the old grey whistle test, I think, as well, in the not in the early days, I think maybe it was in the 80s. Um, the year that uh, that rock exploded, I think he said. Um, I didn't know that about David Hepworth, he was the next uh, old grey whistle test. He was, oh, yeah, he was. yeah. I, whether he took maybe he took over from there was another guy that did it with it, did the show with him, actually. I think you got the old grey whistle stand there, did you? Obviously, you did. Uh, well, no. Not when no, you, you, you're too young. I mean, we're in the we're in the YouTube era, so I've you know discovered retrospectively all of this yeah. stuff and, and been able to see what uh, what a fantastic show it was. 
is a very knowledgeable, uh, very knowledgeable, knowledgeable chap. I should say, get my teeth in. Um, I, I've mislaid my copy of that book, but I know that both of you have got hit with book. No, I haven't. Um, I got it. I've read it and bought it for loads of other people as presents. So uh, it's uh, it's one of the best social histories that's been written. I think. Well, maybe you should buy one for me then, Pete, because well, I I've should, mislaid yes, my it's, called, it's called Never a Dull Moment, anyway, just in case. Never you... a Dull Moment, that's Never the one. What I do remember from the book, from when I did read it, many, uh, it's probably because it's beta-related. So we were talking about 1971, and uh, I seem to remember you saying that New Year's Eve 1970, Paul McCartney um, issued... Uh, or asked his lawyers at least to issue a writ to dissolve or wind up the Beatles, New Year's Eve 1970. So that doesn't sort of draw a line under the 60s pop or 60s pop rock, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I don't know what, what does. And, of course, then the following day, by definition, the 1st of January 1971 would have been the first day of rock. Uh, when when the rock albums, certainly, and I know there were a lot of, Big rock albums, classic albums in the 60s, but I think whether you both agree, but a lot of the albums in the 60s, although there were many, not only by the Beatles, of course, but like Hendrix and Floyd, um, Genesis, King Crimson, these sorts of bands, and obviously the, maybe the newer bands that you probably wouldn't like, like the Stooges or whatever, they, there were a lot that came out in the, in the 60s. But the 70s seemed to be albums made as albums, as entities on their own right. Whereas the 60s for me, uh, I'll let people talk in a minute, don't worry. Uh, the 60s for me would be um, more albums are released sort of on the back of singles. So you might have one hit single on it, maybe a flop single on it, and then about eight or nine very weak songs to sort of fill it up. Whereas 70s started with the, the concept uh, of a rock album. Sadly, I don't think there are any more these days. But uh, but what happened in 1971? What are you going to tell me? I've asked both of you, and I've got a list uh, as well, to maybe list your 10 top albums from that year, whether or not you've done it from a personal standpoint or ones that you feel are seminal releases, significant album releases, or a mixture of both, you know, who cares? It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. It's uh, it's an it will be an interesting discussion. Uh, I'll get you to to list alternately your ones, and we can talk about them. And at the end, if there are any that we haven't listed, I can throw mine into the uh, into the mix as well. Um, so, who wants to start? I mean, Pete, I'll what stick with you. I'll okay, stick well, with the UK. <laughs> well, just kind of by way of a little bit of background, then yep. um, I. I found this incredibly difficult. I sort of, uh, I, I got 100 and then I cut it down to 50 and then I cut it down to 20 and I finally got it down to 10. So I've got kind of 10 close but no cigars. Um, and um, it, it, the problem for me was that having lived through it as you did, but you were that's just a couple of years younger than me. So I was in year three, year four at, at our school. Um, mm -hmm. And so, and that was when I was really just becoming aware of music. So I think mm -hmm. not only is 1971 generally accepted as, you know, the golden, the golden year for rock, mm. um, it was really the first year that I started getting into it as well. 
And although I didn't buy most of these albums until 73, 74 onwards, when I had income and, you know, was in sixth form and everything, um, that was really when you kind of suddenly thought, well, these, you know, these are really, really important. But I think the other thing was that, and what struck me as I as I was thinking about this, that 1971 was just a brilliant year for music, period, because, and the David Hepworth book make, makes this point, but um, and it does, I've got a 1,001 albums you must hear before you die, and yeah. you kind of look at that and you look Fair at the, Right, so you look at the 1970s stuff in 71, 72, and, you look, and there's just so much. So, you know, it, it, because we're just doing rock, you can't have... Tapestry by Carol King. You can't have Blue by Joni Mitchell. You can if you, you want. You, well, but it's not rock, is it? You can't have American Pie by Don McLean. You can't have a riot. There's a riot going on by Sly and the Family Stone. You can't have What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And of course, favourite of mine, you can't have The Inner Mountain Flame by the Marvish Orchestra, which I was very annoyed about. Um, but um, so be annoyed. <laughs> but there was so there was just such a huge amount of. Uh, of just brilliant music that 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 came out that year. But anyway, I, I did narrow it down to 10. So I've got 10. So uh, see, I would say some of the ones that you've mentioned there, uh, broadly speaking, you might still classify them as rock, but not uh, there might be a bit of folk rock or country rock. I'll or, include some folk rock in this, but um, but I yeah. But they're not sort of hard rock or well, progressive no, rock. You've got to get your prog rock into well, everything. Well, well clearly it's me. Of course there's prog. <laughs> but um, but, but I, I just think the problem is if you don't put a box around it, then you literally can go, there's so much good music, you could end up anywhere, couldn't you? And yeah. that was the problem with 19, the problem okay. and the passion of 1971. Anyway, I went down largely the rock, the rock route. Okay, fair enough. Maybe that helps with me when I, I look at it very personally. I can put in whatever the hell I want if I want to put in... <laughs> If I want to put in tapestry, then I'll put in tapestry. So you um, magnificent album. Austin, you found this difficult too? Uh, well, no, because what I did was I went with my personal selections. Uh, yeah. So the, the, the stuff that I, I grew up with or later on discovered. And so it, it was a, a pretty logical uh, 10 selections for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and look, uh, I... I've got to confess, uh, Pete is putting me to shame. Uh, I didn't uh, stick with a rock purist um, definition. Um, just for example, I consider Joni Mitchell to be, she's a folky, but she's rock adjacent. I don't think she would she would have been recording or composing what she did uh, w- without the influence of, uh, of rock figures or, you know, uh, uh, artists yep. that we now consider rock. I so, agree. I agree. So that's like it, it, it's part of the popular music firmament, and obviously there are you know that there are lines that are blurred and crossed with you know pop and folk and and soul and jazz and country and so on. But mm. uh, yeah, uh, so a couple of mine are decidedly not like rock if you are talking from a, a purist perspective. But mm-hmm. uh, regardless. Um, and just to go back to the, um, the the question of like why 1971, um, mm. I think David Hepworth does make a really compelling case for uh, in his book uh, for, for the, uh, the 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 dissolution of the Beatles, uh, creating a vacuum into which everyone else rushed because they were such a uh, um, uh, 
influential yeah, just a, a dominating creative force mm. yeah like like they uh that the, they were just uh, I- extraordinary and uh and uh, while they were like a, a you know commercially active um yeah like everyone just flocked to them so you know like that history tells us that never n- there'll never be another beatles <laughs> and they can't don't tell, don't tell that to our isis fans <laughs> True. Okay. Um, right. We better get cracking. Um, we'll start with Austin then, since I started with Pete before. Um, you've got a 10. Are they in any particular order or are they just 10 that you just, yeah, these are my 10? Uh, hmm. Well, roughly in the order that, uh, that perhaps uh, I was into them or discovered them. Mm-hmm. Um, that is uh, is the way I'd like to go. So now I was I was technically too young to uh, to to uh, know or recognise any of this stuff when it first came out. Oh, so was but, but I. But I, I would have been maybe two or three years old when I first heard this one, and uh, it's uh, Wings Ooh. Wildlife. Yeah, right. Um, now this Marvelous. is a this is probably a, a very idiosyncratic choice. A lot of people would go, "Why the hell did you pick that and not Ram?" Yeah, I actually think uh, uh, think of Ram as as one of those patchy albums that's got you know a couple of good singles and then the rest of it is just um, creative mucking around. Uh, this this one just has like a lot of charm and it's. Paul's attempt at putting a band together. So it's got, um, there's that the, there's kind of a like a, a bit of sort of consistency there. There's 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 something about the the kinetic energy of just having uh, like Denny Sewell and Denny Lane in, in that uh, you know in, in that recording as well. Like and, just and Linda. adding and Linda. Well, yeah. look. Linda does offer probably the low point of the record by um, singing. By being on it. Uh, but well, <laughs> look, her, some of her some of her harmonies are fine, but when she yep. do, takes a lead vocal in the second verse on "I'm Your Singer," oh, yeah. oh boy, like her her enunciation is just so untrained that it's it's like awkward to listen to. Mm. Um, what what is this record? So it's a bunch of like probably the first side is side one is like a a, a collection of tracks of, of uh, Paul just trying out musical ideas. They're not really songs. Well, one's a cover, but even then, it's just kind of an R and B jam over a single riff. Mm-hmm. And then side two is um uh, is a bunch of ballads in in different shapes and forms, and the and the last two are absolute corkers. So there's um, Tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, which is really uh, uh, actually quite energetic. I'm not even sure if you'd call it a ballad. And just a great McCartney song, belongs uh, in his best work. And and then uh, Dear Friend, which is uh, like just a, like a really um, a somber piano ballad with... Um, like string arrangement or actually orchestral arrangement provided by Tony Visconti, mm-hmm. and uh, and it's uh, it's Paul's dedication to John Lennon. Yeah, he um, sings it. Uh, just, he sings it live, does he? I can't remember. He does. 
No, I think he sings another song that he wrote for Lennon. It's Here Today. Probably. From okay. his, um, yeah, if you were here today, you know, you'd probably laugh and, yeah. Pro- probably the other one that he, he would sing live mm. that, uh, that, uh, that he sort of, well, I don't I, I think he's admitted to it being a uh, like a, a response or a dedication to Lennon is Let Me Roll It of Band on the Run. Of Band on the Run, yeah. Yeah. So. Another good anyway, album. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, forgive me, but I, I'm not sure. Just for the, you may well have said the title of it too, but for the benefit of people listening on the podcast rather than seeing it on Facebook Live, you did say it was a Wildlife album. I can't Wildlife. Remember. It is yeah. a Wild Wings Wildlife. It was the first Wings album. Um, I am surprised that you have that one in there. It's delightfully surprised, actually. Um, Ram was also a good one, a second album. Um, well, that was probably just Paul and Linda McCartney. Uh, some good songs on that as well, actually. Um, yeah, Ram predated Wildlife. Yes. Wildlife must have come out near the end of the year, actually. Wasn't it? Oh, since I've got a chronological list, it was actually released in December. So there you go. I'm glad it's come to some use. So, Wings Wildlife. I bet you haven't got wings in your uh, in your list, Pete. Uh, no, surprisingly not. All right, I should move along. Um, this well, one's pretty obvious. Let's go for, let's go for, let's go go for Pete wings. first. Oh, okay, we'll, sure. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do one by one each. Yeah, I've got a sneak got it. Look yeah, that's a great that idea. Was. Go go ahead. So, Pete, your well, first one. So, I've gone ten through one. So, this is my top ten backwards. So. Um, I'll I'll end with my top one. one. Yeah, okay. okay. So number 10, this is my left field one, okay? So this is rock in the way I define it. Um, the album is Maggot Brain by Funkadelic. Okay. Okay, George Clinton. And um, I just, this I love this album just because it is so just weird and in your face. Um, it was recorded in, um, in Detroit at Universal. Um, Everything about the album, it just makes you on edge. The um, the packaging, which is basically a woman's head coming out the ground, um, absolutely nerve-shredding lyrics. Uh, one of my favourites being, I have tasted the maggots in the mind of the universe. Um, <laughs> just totally eerie, demented music, sort of call and response, funk rock, foot stomping, you know, it's it's crazed. But the title track, um, Maggot Brain, is just, it, it, it's a 10-minute, 18-second song, of which nine minutes is a guitar solo. <laughs> and, I'm and, sure Austin would like it. Yeah, well, he likes it. He loves a guitar solo. Well, don't we all? <laughs> and George Clinton, who's as mad as a box of frogs, he basically said to Eddie Hazel, who plays the guitar, he just said to him, um, uh, play something like your mother just died. And, oh, really? Yeah, that was that was what he told him to before he went into the studio. And 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 that's what came out of it. And, it, you know, it, it stands the test. It, it, it's so creative. It's very much what that early 70s thing was about people pushing the envelope and pushing it and pushing it. Um, and I mean, they've been very, their first two albums were, you know, um, very popular, but, uh, but Maggot Brain was the one that, um, that really burst them open. And uh, yeah. So number 10, Maggot Brain. I must admit they're not, they're probably not, it's not really my bag generally. Um, 
I get confused. That was it was Funkadelic, wasn't it? This one, yeah. uh, Maggot Brain. But Parliament was Clinton as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. it was. Are they, what, they the same band or just I, two different? I, bands? I, I think they swapped members, didn't they? I don't know enough about it. I'm not really a huge fan. I just you love just love that album. It's just a great album. And why not? I tell you, who else loves that album is Graham, another well, friend of uh, Pete and I's. Graham. He's he's given me. Uh, he's actually cheated. He's given me fifteen. Um, but Maggot Brain was on that list whether he's on down as 15 whether or not it was the 15th favorite album i don't know but maggot brain okay okay yeah that uh that's got um uh, a big riff rocker on it doesn't it is it hit it and quit it or something is that Uh, is that on that one probably i can't remember i i haven't played it for ages what it's it's got a couple of um your is it your people are not my people which is their kind of thing about you know race um, it's quite an angry album. It's another reason I like it. It's kind of, you know, it's what made me love Tom Robinson band and, you know, bands that have got a bit of angst about them. Uh, just looking up the track listing there for Austin. Uh, Hit It and Quit It is definitely on there. It was the... Um, that is a great song. Hit it yeah, and quit it's it. just a brilliant album. Released as a single. Yeah, Hit It and Quit It. Maggot Brain, can you get to that? Hit It and Quit yeah, It. Can you get to that? It's a great song. You and your folks, me and my folks. Yeah, that's the one that's about. And then you've got Super Stupid, Back in Our Minds, and Wars of Armageddon. Wars of Armageddon is another real long one. That's it's that nine or ten minutes, isn't it? And that's kind of... Yeah, it's 9.42. Yeah, it's almost like different movements in it. It's kind of, yeah. It's, it's just a brilliant album. Okay, that's good. It's a good start. You could get a little, a little more, ex, more extreme, really. Uh, wildlife, Wings. Maggot brain funkadelic. <laughs> okay. Good stuff. Number nine from Austin. Right. We may as well get this one out of the way. Yeah, Let's get it out of the way. Okay. The, the Zoso, the untitled album. I, it, it, I, I don't even know what to say about, uh, about it. There's been so much that's been said about this album over the years that uh, I, I, it's kind of uh, exhausted the, uh, the, the dialogue or discourse about it. Um, I guess the um, the only thing I can really say is uh, is that it's been like it's been a journey uh, for me. My relationship with the uh, with, with the record, like finding layers of uh, of stuff, not only in the actual tracks, like hearing <laughs> stuff that's going on, going oh, you know, like Jimmy Page mucks up. Um, mucks up the guitar riff uh, at you know at the second verse you know Misty Mountain Hop or whatever. Yeah. Um, to uh, to that's fascinating, uh, isn't it? Yeah. You listen to stuff and you don't. Oh, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Real clanger. Yeah. Um, yeah. To, to just discovering how it was made, the the um, uh, not only the conditions in in how it was made, but uh, the the techniques that we used. You know, how many eleven seventy six limiters did. Uh, Jimmy chained together to get that guitar sound on Black Dog exactly. You know, mm. it's probably boring stuff to non-musicians, but um, it's it's such a uh, it, it's an idiosyncratic record in itself. Like it doesn't sound like anything. Like the the uh, the, the the tones, the 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 way the songs are constructed, like the, the the mix. It's like it's surprisingly lacking in bottom end. For example, uh, and, and yet there's so much power in it. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I guess that's all I really have to say about that. Their well, best I, album? No. Oh, 
Oh, no. wow. No. Um, I, I would say it's up there. It's up there, but it's not the best one. I think, <laughs> so, let, let, so let me just, okay, so I've got. I've You've got, got that in I've, there as well. I've got Untitled as my number two. Yeah, okay. okay. So um, so definitely. But I think there was a few things. I, I mean, I've, I bought that album in 1973, I think, and I've played it to death and back. And I've got it on vinyl and on CD and all the tracks on compilation Zeppelin stuff. Um, but um, if we talked about song albums which don't have a duff track, Led Zeppelin 4 doesn't have a duff track on it. I mean, what's the weakest track? It doesn't have one. Mm-hmm. But I, I think what's really interesting, there's a couple of things about it. Um, it's um, You must know this, um, that... Um, the um that stairway is the most played song on american radio of all time and they reckon that in the 1970s somewhere in america a radio station was playing stairway to heaven 24 hours a day so that you could if you were if you could pick up all of the stations you would always hear stairway to heaven and that's the impact it had um, as a track. But the other interesting thing is, and you're, as a musician, um, I don't know, maybe you know this or not, but um, the, um, the drum sound on When the Levee Breaks um, was basically done by him sitting at the bottom of a stairwell um, and all of the noise goes up the stairwell. Um, <laughs> but it is the most sampled drum track so it's used for loads of different stuff, hip hop and everything else. It's sampled to death uh, as well. And I think again, that says that this is this is a seminal album. You know, mm. anybody who's a rock fan has got Led Zeppelin four if they've got nothing else. Uh, and I, th- I think Austin was nodding his head there with the drum sound. Were you or not? You, uh, you... Yeah, I, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty well documented uh, that the whole Headley Grange setup. Um, the, the... Te- tearing up uh, bits of the house uh, to feed it into the fireplace to keep them yeah, warm. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, read the, 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 the book "When Giants Walk the Earth." Mick Wall's book is uh, it's the classic on uh, it's the classic on Zeppelin. But I don't think it's their best one. I think "Physical Graffiti" is. I, I must admit, I do like "Physical Graffiti" as well. Was that wasn't until what seventy five? I think it was about four years later, uh, and a double. Although, although a lot of that was like leftover songs from. Yeah, it the holy, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, the only thing I read about Led Zepp 4, because Led Zepp 4 is in my list, my 10 as well, um, needless to say, or Untitled, sorry, as it's correctly called, or Four Symbols. Uh, it's called Four Symbols. Zotto. Zotto. <laughs> um, <laughs> was was um, the fact that Led Zepp 3 received quite a lukewarm response. And... Uh, this album was almost like the one that had to confirm the sort of Atlantic recording contract, you know. Um, yeah, well, and it, it really kicked ass, this one, didn't it? Well, Led Zeppelin 3 is quite acoustic. And having gone to America and toured Led Zeppelin 1 and Led Zeppelin 2 and, you know, got all the crowd behind them, Led Zeppelin 3 was a bit of a departure. It was mm. much more, not folky, but it's, it, it's yeah, it's it's a very different sound. A mellower sound. Mellower, yes, indeed. That's a good word for it, yeah. I think okay. it still sold bucket loads. Uh, it was uh, mainly the, uh, the, crit- the critical reaction that um, that, that yeah. them. Like that Led Zeppelin uh, and the critics 
basically hated each other. And they had a very um, that and Led Zeppelin didn't care. Very frosty <laughs> relationship with the uh, with the press. Yeah, which well, is surprising considering how much fawning over them they've done in the years since. You know. Mm. Well, I, I think I think it's probably mainly Rolling Stone are the uh, the main culprits. Well, I went to the reunion gig at the O2 in 2007, and the fawning was on a nuclear scale at that uh, on, by that stage. They still cut it in 2007. Oh, they were brilliant! It was in the top four live concerts I've ever been to. Yeah, they were fantastic. And yeah, at Live Aid, they were shocking. Live Aid, they were shocking. Yeah, absolutely shocking. In '85. Yeah, 2007, they were brilliant. In Philadelphia, was that the one where Phil Collins played on the drums? Or? Yeah. Uh, no, what, uh, the 07? No, no, I'm talking about... No, that, was John, that was John Bonham's kid who played uh, in 2007. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah I think you might, be, you might be right about Phil Collins, yeah. Yeah, yeah I think he played because he, he flew over there, didn't he, to sing his uh, Against All Odds on Concord uh, once at Wembley and then flew over and did the same song. Now, you, now you're here, Phil. Get on the drums. I mean, he wasn't the only drummer there. Yeah, well, let's set four. So we've all got that one in. So well, that's yeah. fun. Um, okay, Austin, number eight for you. I think it's me now. You're no, no, you, you, uh, over the Pete. It's over the Pete now. Okay, yeah, because Austin is at four, but we all had it. Oh, that's right. Okay, tell a lie. <laughs> yeah, and you said it, I'm getting confused because you said it's your number two. Well, so I'm trying, to, two. I'm trying to keep track of this. That avoids me doing number two, then doesn't it? Okay, <laughs> it's you then. Yes. Okay. So I've gone. Um, this is not quite so left field. It's. Uh, it's definitely the best album by this band. Um, it's uh, From the Witchwood by the Straubs. Straubs. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's an interesting album in a number of ways, um, not least of which was that it was Rick Wakeman's last hurrah. Um, just as they were finishing off recording it, he was already recording um, another album with Yes uh, as he joined them. Um, but uh, it was the first of their albums which charted in the UK and it was the first one that was on worldwide release and I just think it's it's the Straub started very much as a folk act and Sandy mm-hmm. Denny sang with them for a little while before she went to Fairport um, and um, she also sang on Led Zip 4 she did on um, uh, the Battle of Avermore mm. uh, but um they this was the first one where it was cut where they well, it was the first one where they had drums for a start and they moved from being a um three to a to a quintet um and what that meant was that they had a kind of much broader kind of sound so you know they had dulcimers and clarinets and all kind of weird strange instrumentation um and uh, but what a, a, in particular and you, you you'll appreciate this Cole, because the lyrics are a really important part of this album. Um, Dave Cousins um, had spent a lot of time talking to Mark Bolan, and Mark Bolan had encouraged him to kind of make up words. So um, the, the opening track of um, From the Witchboard is, is called A Glimpse of Heaven. The lyrics are fantastic. You'd, you'd love it. Um, but he uses the term sparkle bright which obviously isn't a word, no. um, but, it, but it was it was Boland saying, you know, be creative. So he, so he talks about this sparkle bright morning. Um, right, okay. But the standout track is The Hangman and the Papist, which is basically about two brothers caught on the opposite side of the religious divide, Catholic and the Protestant, 
and the I can't remember which way around it is now, but one of them is the hangman and one of them is the one getting hung. Um, and Scully has to hang his brother, which, you know, it's not the most cheerful song. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, but bearing in mind when it was written, it was an allegory for the Northern Ireland troubles. So it was very much written as a, you know, at a, a, a point in history, which, you know, you and I will remember very well. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah, and, and, it, and it's just a great album. You know, it's just one of those things which you listen to and, the, the words are beautiful and it's just really well constructed and yeah, they're just great musicians and you can tell that Rick Wakeman's hanging it all together on the keyboard because mm. doing what he does. So anyway, kind of, yeah, kind of a, a folk prog rock band almost, were they? Which is why I like them. Mm. <laughs> but not too many guitar solos. No, no guitar solos. So oh, maybe yeah. not, oh, not oh, Austin yeah. Street. He does like a guitar solo. Well, I haven't uh, haven't come across uh, uh, the uh, this particular album, so I'm going to have to go and check it out. It mm. actually does sound pretty interesting. Um, it is interesting. Uh, I and, and, like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like I like prog, so um, it sounds like uh, an undiscovered gem for me. Yeah, it's nice. Good stuff. Okay, from the Witchwood from Straubs. Now, let me get this right. It's Austin now, isn't it? It is. <laughs> Okay, what have okay. you got for us? Well, let's let's stay with the uh, the the dulcimers and clarinets. Uh, well, almost. Uh, Rod Stewart. Oh. Every every picture tells a story, uh, oh, and yeah. this was a uh, an amazing. What is it? Trifold album cover that uh, that folds out to this uh, huge picture of uh, Rod singing uh, singing into his microphone on stage, and then. Mm. All of this beautiful kind of Art Deco inspired artwork on the other side with all of the um, band pictures and album credits and whatnot. Really, really beautiful artwork. Um, and and the and the recording itself uh, is is well played. Um, great selections and uh, because I think at least half of it is covers. Uh, mm. Rod wrote every picture. Maggie May and maybe one or two others and the rest of them the rest of them are, uh, are covers and memphis uh, is on that oh uh, no no that's that's a faces track so it's that was uh, on that no, that was on the faces one yeah reason oh, to that's believe that's all right that's all right i'm thinking that's all that's all right of, oh we've got yeah. an elvis link anyway there yeah there we go <laughs> that's uh, all right and and <laughs> His, head in hands moment for Pete. <laughs> rod's rod's instincts for interpretation um have just been honed to like uh, like a, a razor edge like he he knows exactly how to deliver a song by this point uh and and he's got killer instincts um and it it rightfully made him a superstar it's the album that made him a superstar mm. uh and it's it, even now uh, like it, it still sounds fresh to listen to like i i don't know if anyone else uh, has the experience of being bored by this album, but I, I don't, I can still put it on and go, wow, it just, mm. it's, it's so, it's so vibrant. Part of it is that it sounds like a bunch of guys who know what they're doing and are capable, but haven't, haven't tried too hard to clean up the rough edges. So, you know, sometimes, you know, I think on, uh, on, there's uh, one song where the uh, like the bass comes in like a, a split second late and you can kind of hear it and just oh okay uh, what what is it um, seems like a long time uh, yeah, yeah. and they've just gone ah leave it in and so it's it's 
like that that kind of a, a little bit of of that kind of spontaneity just keeps the whole thing fresh and makes you re- like remember that there are real people on the you know on, on the other side of that uh, that recording divide like the mm. the the the, the the moment of, of, of putting all this stuff down on tape wasn't messed around with. Like now you can't, these days you can't trust anything you hear. You don't know what mm. you're listening to. Half the time it's music that nobody played on even. And Oof. the other, and, and the other half of it is almost always like pitch manipulated, time manipulated, uh, has been copied and pasted. Like, like there's barely any real music anymore. And this is just real music. Mm. It's sort of a mix between hard rock, folk, blues. It, it's sort of got everything on it, hasn't it? Um, and of course, the starring tune, Maggie May, which is such such a big hit single for Rod as well. Although pretty much it was the faces, wasn't it? Um, um, wonderful. That's a that's just a well, brilliant. It's just a superb song, that's Maggie May. I mean, the lyrics. You don't get songs written like that anymore, Maybe do you? Don't. No, I've exactly. got to. I've got to correct you on that. It's only oh. the faces on one track, which okay. is. Um, I know I'm losing you. Uh, oh, okay. Mickey, Mickey Waller drums on the uh, on the whole album. So okay. Mickey Waller was was the drummer on all of his solo stuff. I think he was the. I think uh, he was the the Rod's bandmate from the Jeff Beck trio. Oh, Jeff, okay. Jeff Beck group, I should say. Yeah, it was Rod Rod singing, Ronnie on bass, and Mickey Waller on drums with Jeff Beck. And, and so that's the uh, that's the group that Rod that Rod used for all of his solo stuff. Okay, fair enough. Um, even on the pre, maybe never, maybe never a dull moment. That was Rod as well, wasn't it? Was that not? Yeah, I'm not familiar. Like maybe that was the one after. I, I, was it? This yeah, is his that's, third that's album. One I think this, this is his third, third album. album. Yeah, there was okay. um, a, a, an old raincoat or the I think okay, oh, yeah, old, old raincoat. And then gas, and then gasoline, gasoline alley. alley. Yeah. I then, Everything yeah, I'm sure, never a dull moment. That had uh, you wear it well on it, I think, didn't it? Yeah, the it following did. year, maybe, yeah. and maybe Smiler after that. Which one was handbags and glad rags on? Uh, good question. Uh, you got that's, me there. I'm going to say was the uh, the first one. Uh, oh, oh, raincoat. Yeah, oh, is it right? Yeah. Okay, that's another great song. Yeah, it is a great song. I, I think Maggie Mays is. Yeah, it's his top it, it, song. It is, yeah. Well, that's well funny enough, though, I, I say you wear it well on the following album. I think I prefer you wear it well. I don't know why. I, there's something about you wear it well. It's very similar musically to Maggie May, but I just uh, I just love it. And Maggie every picture tells a story. I might not know who's playing on the album, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's in my 10. It's every picture tells a story was in my 10 as well. Um, uh, let me just uh, check the oracle. Was it on my um, close but no cigar list? No, it was Careless, careless. Yeah, no, I, I like it very much, and I love Maggie May. It's in my all-time top ten singles, but uh, don't love enough of the rest. For, yeah. Okay, right. Let's move on. Uh, what's your next one? Number number eight. Number eight for you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Pearl, Janis Joplin. Pearl. Um, yeah. So um, I, I love everything about this album. Um, I love the cover. You know, she's sitting there in kind of hippie louche with uh, a glass of whiskey in one hand and a fag in the other. And um, she um, she just, you know, it's everything that Janis Joplin was. And I know it cost her a life, but for that three or four years that she was she was there, she just, you know, created just some of the best 
gritty, dirty, bluesy rock music of all. Um, and I absolutely love her voice. Um, you know, me and Bobby McGee, great song. Oh. Um, Chris Christopherson, isn't it? Uh, Chris Christopherson. Chris Christopherson song. Uh, um, song, yeah. Mercedes Benz. Um, I, I particularly like uh, Woman Left Lonely, which I think mean, she sounds like Bessie Smith on that. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's absolutely no bad thing. And I think, you know, the real sad one is kind of just in the middle of the in, in the middle of the album is that Buried Alive in the Blues, um, where there isn't any vocals at all. Just instrumental, was, isn't it? Yeah. She was supposed to be recording them the day they found her dead in her hotel room of heroin overdose. So mm. it's kind of bittersweet as well. But it's it's a wonderful, wonderful album. And I, you know, I absolutely love Janice Joplin. One of the classic female uh, rock singers. Well, we, um, talked about, uh, we talked about the whole rock female rock singers and female front woman thing, doesn't she? And she would be right up there. Near the she'd top be definitely right up there. I mean, me, me and Bobby McGee, I think the whole album was only released about three months after her death, actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah, me, it was and, me and Bobby McGee, I believe, was recorded literally just a few days before she died. Mm. Um, but, yeah, what, what a great song. Yeah, it's brilliant. And it's a brilliant album. Yeah. I mean, I love it by Chris Christopherson as well, actually. I but, do. Yeah. But, but Janice's version is, um, if I can call her Janice, Joplin's well, version. But it's a great album. I was saying to Austin, I don't know if you heard us um, filling when, when you disappeared there for 30 seconds, putting money in the meter. Um, <laughs> but Pearl... Um, yeah, it was on, I had it on my list, a lot of ticks, but it didn't end up getting a ring around the tick for one of my ten. So, um, but it was a it was a great album, um, and that was one of the one of the first actually in nineteen seventy one because uh, she died very end of nineteen seventy, didn't she? So yeah, 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 yeah. It was nineteen February, I think. Yeah. Okay. I think I think what's extraordinary about that album too is that uh, the vocal tracks were scratch tracks. The uh, that the the plan was for her to redo all of those tracks, uh, like to to a higher standard than than uh, what was left. Uh, but mm, obviously, really? yeah. I, so I I wonder how much had to be rescued and 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 whether they needed to kind of do any uh, in the studio surgery or play around what she'd you know what she'd already laid down. Um, yeah, I've, I've got no idea, but um, and, and they probably wouldn't uh, wouldn't reveal that sort of thing anyway. Um, just bit ghoulish, you know. They 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 probably just want to honour her her memory, mm. but um, like what what she did leave behind was extraordinary. Mm. Yeah, and I've got I've got the um, cheap thrills, and uh, I've got a couple of live albums just done with you know a couple of mics stood on top of a speaker on the stage, and all done in mono. She's just got a brilliant voice. And, she's big, and, big Brother and Holding Company, the yeah, band before. Yeah, okay. yeah, because this because Pearl uh, was the full tilt boogie band, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. Sorry. Me and uh, just an, an interesting fact: Me and Bobby McGee was the second posthumous number one single in the US. Do you know what the first one was? Must have been four years before, I'd say. Just as a side issue. No. It was Otis Redding sitting on the dock of the bay, which had an element of unfinishedness about it as well, didn't it? Uh, You read lots of different things. You don't know what to believe. But the way I understood it was that the whistling at the end of sitting on the dock of the bay was because he hadn't got the words for that, but he hadn't worked it out. But obviously he wasn't around to finish it. 
they left the whistling on at the end. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, that's what I heard and read. Um, let's move on swiftly then as time gets on. So number seven, we're looking to Austin again. All right, let's get this one out of the way. Faces, a nod is as good as, good a, as wink a wink to a blind horse. To a blind horse. <laughs> one of the great uh, album titles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> produced by the great Glyn Johns, and it really captured the faces at their at their best. Um, the, uh, the first couple of Faces albums, like... Just seem to be a uh, a band that's more interested in having a good time than uh, than writing a great song. Had and a real somehow, good time, in fact. Yeah, yeah indeed. And like even that's not such a like. There, there, there are no real great songs that I can think of. I mean, maybe I'm amazed was a hit for them, uh, but it's even then it's a live version of somebody else's song. Yeah, you know um, who's as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. So um, um, so this one has uh, it just like uh, like just this great focus and looseness at the same time. Uh, so I, I, I have, I'm going to credit Glyn Johns with, with um, uh, harnessing that, uh, that, that energy that they had and, and making them coherent. Uh, and look, even like I, I could just rave about the individual instrumental performances of, of, of every band member, like Kenny Jones, like you can just hear how hard he's hitting the drums and 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 a lot of the uh, the patterns he's playing are really very sparse where you think like a like a kick drum hit should go there's nothing it's mm. just dead air it's like the the beat is just so um visceral that like sometimes he doesn't even need to play the drum in the in the space where the beat is <laughs> he just lets it go and and you you lose nothing and then like he'll do it he'll do a fill coming into another section and and suddenly uh the the, the drum kit is exploding in a million pieces and that that's just one instrument <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean mcclagan's um keyboard is integral to the classic of course stay with me which is on that album yeah the, the the way he sets the tempo of that riff, that coming in, superb. And of course, I think Chuck Berry's Memphis is on that album. I was getting confused it uh, is. between that and uh, every picture tells a story. It happens as we get older, Cole. I know senior moments. It's the only reason I have you on is because I feel a bit younger. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> right, a nod is as good as a wink to a blind horse. In at number seven. Uh, uh, right. Yes. Right. So we're now getting into my um, we're now getting into my home territory. So you can probably guess most of what's coming next. Um, but anyway, so number seven, I've got Nursery Crime by Genesis. Um, this is my favourite Genesis album. I know most people say Selling England by the Pound. And I love Selling England by the Pound, not least of which because it's got Battle of Epping Forest, and that should make you and I very happy about home, Cole. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I used to live in a town called Epping, uh, Austin. Um, which yeah. was close to Epping Forest. Anyway, and you were very close, yeah. yeah. I, I lived even closer. I basically lived in it. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I digress. Um, so, But I mean, a nursery crime, I think. I mean, the one thing I would say is that for all, when you – some of the albums I've picked have just got the most magnificent artwork. Um, even, you know, even Untitled, I think is just a brilliant piece of artwork. Um, 
every Genesis album ever, the artwork has been rubbish, uh, in my personal opinion. And Nursery Crime is no uh, different from that. Um, it's horrible. However, the um, the content is uh, the content is kind of the classic Genesis lineup. Um, loads of brilliant songs, musical box, Harold the Barrel. Um, my favourite Genesis track of all, which is um, the uh, the Fountain of Selmacis or Selmacis, however they pronounce it. That um, closed the album, I think, didn't it? No, no, uh, no. It's no. That's the end of side one. The oh, okay, um, right. No, the one that closes it is the. Um, the prog epic, uh, the return of the giant hogweed, um, but uh, it's another one of those albums where it's uh, it's it's very hard to fault as a piece of music. I think that every you know musically, if if you kind of break it down, and I tend to listen to stuff in the round, um, but um, if you break it down, you know just the, the all of the, the the guitar parts, the keyboard parts. This, you know, Gabriel, I think, did he sing better on any of their albums? Maybe on The Land Lies Down on Broadway. But, you know, it's just, it's it's brilliant. And as I say, my my favourite Genesis album. And it had to be, you know, I had to have one in there. So, no surprise it was. No singles on that one either. No, well, <laughs> no, indeed. <laughs> no singles. Okay. Nursery Crime, Genesis. Nothing to add on Genesis. Or want to go straight on to number number six. I I was never a big fan of uh, of Genesis with Peter Gabriel. Huge fan of Peter Gabriel and Genesis after Peter Gabriel. But exactly the opposite. Can't stand Genesis post Gabriel. Well, one album. But um, I like um, I like uh, Trick of the Tail. That was uh, so. That that's was, my favourite Genesis album. Well, that, that was the kind of the crossover album, and then they went rapidly down the edge of the cliffs after that. So, uh, well, they changed when that Gabriel went. They definitely changed to a more poppy rock. Yeah. Well, they just uh, they just became a pop rock band. They were kind of like a better version of Queen. <laughs> okay, we won't go down that route then. Yeah, don't Gen- go down. Genesis, sorry, oh, sorry, sorry Gabriel. Queen. Well, since, Queen, since Queen went around in nineteen seventy one, we can just let that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were nineteen seventy four. They came on the scene, so we're all right. Uh, anyway, yes, moving on. <laughs> okay, Austin, what you got for next? Okay, so we're up to the uh, up to the records uh, that uh, I hadn't already heard by the time uh, I was like say twelve years old, and it's Deep Purple Fireball. Fireball. Uh, Fireball. Now I had heard I had heard Machine Head, but I hadn't heard the rest of uh, the uh, Deep Purple uh, catalog, and uh, Fireball. Oh, it's. It's an interesting album in that um, it uh, it kind of it, it does have like a couple of weak tracks or tracks that don't fit in. They they were doing this thing where they would release a single separate to the album. They did it with the first album uh, in rock with, with Ian Gillan and Roger Glover on board, where they mm-hmm. had Black Knight as a single, and with this one they had Strange Kind of Woman as a single, and it woman, didn't feature yeah. on the album. And then they've got something like. Uh oh, what what is it? Uh, Anyone's daughter, which is almost like this kind of really mellow country rock song, which they I don't think they ever did anything like that ever again. It's just kind of sitting there in the middle of the album, like I, I don't I don't know, and I don't know what it's doing there, <laughs> quite frankly. But the but the re- rest of the record is just um like a, a like 
full-on riff rock assault uh no 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 fireball with its yeah like bass solo buzz yeah. bass solo whatever um demon's eye great riffs like john lord just killing it on the you know hammond organ plugged mm. into the marshall stack and then the 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 other side is kind of more uh like i guess maybe jam focused like it they, they just ramble a bit more but it's still got that energy um uh, and it's uh, yeah, they they had trouble recording it. Um, they uh, I think they had the uh, the drums were wiped. Half the drums were wiped on one track, and they had to re-record them. And so they like they 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 struggled that struggled with it, and they weren't happy with their sound. It's really ironic that um, the, <laughs> the next studio they lined up to to record in was the um, uh, was the uh, the, the theatre in Montreal that burned down <laughs> as soon yeah, as they yeah. arrived? Smoke on the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, they just they like they they were cursed in that way. But uh, but they still left behind like some amazing music. A good album, yeah. I'll just check in. I think I'll get you back on the faces lineup for the every picture tells a story or Rod's lineup. Um, but yeah, you're right. A strange kind of woman. I could swear that was on the album, but. It wasn't. Right. It was on the US, Canadian, and Japanese release. And the trouble is now, when you go on Spotify, they have so many different versions of the album. You yeah. pick up a Stones album from the 60s, for example, and you think that Purple Haze is the opening track. Oh, sorry, um, a Hendrix album. Or for the Stones, you're looking at um, uh, Painted Black or whatever. And some of these big singles, they just weren't released on the albums over, over here. Yeah. But then that, that on, on the US releases there were, and Purple Haze didn't didn't open the album. It was Foxy Lady that opened the album for Andrew. Yeah. All right, okay. Well, so we're, we're getting over. We're not quite halfway, are we? Maybe we're halfway through. Yeah, we are. Halfway. We have to speed up a little bit during the last lot. Then, so Pete, we did start late, so don't panic yet. I've um, got the stopwatch on, so I reckon we're um, about fifty-four no, minutes. You're so going to throw, throw us out, I mean. Um, no, I'm going to kick you out. Right. Okay. <laughs> I've already been once anyway. Uh, yes, right. Number six, uh, entirely predictable from me, Fragile by Yes. Um, this was uh, this was the start of the Anderson Squire drive to be, quote, unquote, the best band in the world. Um, Rick Wakeman joined them at the beginning after leaving the Straubs. Um, his major contribution on day one was putting down all of the... Uh, um, keyboard tracks for Roundabout, and we all know how much that turned into the um, the Yes kind of a staple live track between uh, Ben and the rest of time. Um, Eddie offered at the desk, who's the usual uh, their usual um, uh, engineer at that time. Um, what I love about this album, I mean, I think it stands the test anyway um, as as a as a classic of the year. But for me personally, it's the kind of um, John Anderson's mystical lyrics are in full flow. Um, one of the interesting facts about it was that they um, they they were rehearsing for five weeks um, uh, at um, AdVision in London, and they let in twenty fans each day to come and listen while they were doing it. So it was kind of like you were there at the, as the as the record was being produced. Um, Roger Dean's first artwork for them. And then, you know, Roger Dean then became very so much associated uh, with Yes uh, going forward. Um, described um, at, by one um, music journal as um, music at its most complex. Um, but it was a top 
10 hit in both the US and the UK. Obviously their second, obviously their second album of 1971. So uh, showing that, um, you know, they were busy, busy lads. And of course, Roundabout was a hit single as well. I think it was in the States anyway. Roundabout was a hit single in the States, yeah, it was. Yeah, but I'm not, not sure here. Not no, sure here. Yeah. Um, I, I always loved Heart of the Sunrise. What a yeah, great Heart track. of the Sunrise is brilliant. It's, uh, and, and particularly on that, it's Chris Squire's bass. I mean, it, it, there's always a big argument about who's the best bassist in the world. And you, and you have this great thing because you've got the jazz bassists who are totally different from the rock ones. But if I had to pick one rock bassist, I'd pick Chris Squire just because of the range of his playing ability. I just think the guy's a genius. And a monster tone. Like he had oh, yeah. a real personality. Yeah, he did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and also, I mean, and then he was playing a Rickenbacker when no one else was playing a Rickenbacker. Um, so yeah, so a completely different sound, but I mean, that's why I love Yes. I mean, they're my favorite band ever. Um, they, um, they just, the, just the range the musical range of all of the player, all of the people in the band and how virtuoso they were at everything they did. Um, and just that, you know, the epic sound they produced was, yeah, loving the bits. You see, I, I, uh, I was telling Pete before uh, you connected with us earlier on, Austin, um, I, I know Pete, obviously. Um, I tried to guess what his 10 albums would be. Um and I, obviously, I had a Yes album in, but I I didn't have Fragile. I had I had the Yes album for some reason. Yeah, so I thought I thought like Starship Trooper and well, it, we're only on number six. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, I, might, I might get one right then. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, you've got Led four, right? I did. Well, when I say right, I don't mean I, I've got it on my list. I mean, predicted yours here, yeah, but I'm predicting it does up for you. Okay, uh, Austin, you next, I believe. I'll put you out of your misery, Colin. Uh, let's talk about the Yes album, <laughs> okay. which was oh, also good. released in 1971. Yes, it was. it was. In fact, it was released, well, I'll give you the, uh, it was released in February. That's right. So uh, I and I'm looking at the album cover, and I only just noticed uh, that uh, I, I think that's Tony K, that all five, uh, members are on the uh, the front cover, and and mm. the guy sitting the guy sitting down, which I think is the keyboardist Tony K, who left the band uh, after this. Um, he's got no, the cast. one sitting down. The one sitting down in the corner is Bill Bruford. Oh, the one sitting yeah. in the middle. Yeah, yeah, the, in the one middle. Sitting, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Bill Bruford's crouching. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's got a yeah. he's got a cast on his ankle. He has. I didn't. I did not notice that until <laughs> just go. now. So there you go. <laughs> uh, but look, I think. Fragile has probably uh, uh, the 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 best songs are more brilliant, but I think the Yes album hangs together better as an album. I, I think. It, I, it, okay, so can I dive in here? The Yes album is my number one. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So, well, no. So the Yes album is my number one. It for me, it's the best album ever by the best band ever and has the best track ever, which is Starship Trooper. So if I could take one piece of music to Azeza Island, it would be Starship Trooper. And in fact, I've just written my will and my coffin is coming in to Starship Trooper. That's how much I love Starship Trooper. It's a, it's a brilliant album. There is not a duff track. It's magnificent. No argument from me at all. No, I love it. 
Super. And I and I predicted it in your list as well. Well, <laughs> funnily enough, as as I hinted at earlier on. Well, did okay. You, um, so, sorry, can I just um, Austin? Did you um, did you get the bit about uh, it, it's referred to as a quote unquote genre benchmark because it was the first album which moved from psych to prog. So the, an argument that it was the quote unquote first prog album from yes because the, the previous two were more psychedelic um but the interesting thing was that um yours is no disgrace is their um is their anti-war song it's about vietnam so it's their protest against the vietnam war and you don't it's really so, think of, it, of them as a protest band but it's it, so hard to know what anything that they wrote about was <laughs> was about unless you get like somebody explaining it right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, exactly. And I mean, I've sung that song in my head a billion times and I still have not got a clue what's going on. But <laughs> but yeah, no, I absolutely love it. It's it, it's the album that gets played most often. I play it to death. And I've seen it. Steve Howe's first one, wasn't it? Um, yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. And that was that was one of the big change. That was one of the big changes in sound. Yeah, he as an as a guitarist, he was much more accomplished than his predecessor. I was obviously talking no- nonsense earlier on about Led Zap album and being because Led it was a it was a yes album that um they they needed they needed to pay back almost to to ensure that the Atlantic contract was renewed. So yeah. maybe it was a yeah. Does that make more sense than that? Well, in, in fact, don't yes, know what I'm talking about. Basically, so basically, no. Basically, what happened was that with the Yes album, they were told that they better get their act together and produce something that sold in volume. So they yeah. went and locked themselves away in a farmhouse just outside Elfracombe for two months and laid down laid down the album um, and um, and and then it was you know it was a massive hit. But yeah, that was exactly what happened. They were they they, they were it was it was they delivered it eleven weeks late to the record company. So I mean, I've never worked for a record company, but I'm sure Austin has, and I'm sure a record company would be pretty fed up if you were eleven weeks late or something. Austin, were you going to say some add something to that? No, it's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, so so yes, yes, that's good. We've doubled up there, so that's that's uh, whizzed through that one quite quickly. Um, so that are we back to? Are we back to Pete now? Are we back well, to- we both did that together. Yeah. Let, let Austin do his number. Let's swap it around. Let Austin do his number. number five and five. All right. Okay. So I'm going to talk about uh, an album that uh, that I don't expect either of you two to be familiar with, and that's uh, Toward the Blues by Chain, who are an Australian blues rock band. Mm-hmm. So it's the, uh, it's the only uh, uh, blues classified uh, album to ever reach the uh, the the number one position on the uh, the Australian uh, music charts, uh, and uh, it, it did that I think off the off the back of um, a uh, a single uh, Black and Blue. Um, so that was uh, I, I think they did an edit, like maybe a, a radio edit of, of that song, uh, but the um the the, the album captured. Again, it's it's their it's their peak. I I don't know how many albums they did. Uh, uh, I can look that up while you're talking. It might it might have only been three albums or something. Um, but it's no, there's it, more than that actually. They had well, they had Towards the Blues, their first one. Okay. Uh, then, then they had uh, Two of a Kind in '73, and then there's a big gap. 
to okay. 85 when they had Child of the Street, and then there were another one, two, three, four albums after that, and one, the last one being in 2004, excluding so live it, albums. What it is is uh, it was the only album with with that particular lineup. That so lineup, think, uh, okay. yeah. Matt Matt Talon, Phil Manning, the um the, the singer and guitarist were uh, were, were the uh, the consistent pair in the uh, in the group, but uh, the rhythm section changed i think that's how it went uh but it is it, it's a brilliant listen it's it's really part of its success was that it was really accessible and it also uh kind of recast the blues from i guess maybe an australian convict perspective so they were like singing about uh you know being being locked up in you know in, in prison but uh you know or, or you know like basically having a hard time in life but from a like a colonial perspective rather than from you know um you know the the traditional blues perspective of you know the itinerant you know black community in this in america for instance in the acdc then took on as well then presumably with yeah uh, that so that's that that's something that's that's threaded through yeah jailbreak and like drag and played with the idea and cold chisel did as well so it's Mm. it's something that was uh, yeah, a, a lot of uh, a lot of Australian acts in the seventies had a you know like had a go at. So would that be something we could get over here, Austin? Would that on import, or is it um, or is it delisted? Would it still be around? Uh, you could you could almost certainly get uh, get get a compact disc of it. I don't know if you could get vinyl. I don't think it's been reissued. Uh, no, I tend to, and, these days, I tend to buy CDs unless yeah. I'm buying vintage stuff. So. No, yeah, I'm just thinking should... if it's possible because it sounds like a really interesting album. It sounds right yeah. up my street. So, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's still in print. Okay, cool. Well, towards the blues, yeah. Yep, toward the blues. Toward the blues. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's something to look at. Something for us both to look out for. Then that yes, one. Yes, indeed. Yeah, I shall give it a look. Over to the the Dunstable or close to Dunstable on the Buckinghamshire, <laughs> the Beds, Bucks, Border Jury. Beds, Bucks, Border. Back to you. Number. Uh, yeah, my number five, you almost certainly will have pictured this. Well, we've got this one. It's pictures at an exhibition. Oh, I've definitely got that on your list. Yep, ELP. So um, the, what I love about ELP is that they just did everything big. So they, they premiered what is effectively a piece of classical music. <clears throat> well, it is a piece of classical music. They premiered it live at the Isle of Wight Festival in 1970 in their first ever proper gig. So you just think about how complicated Pictures at an Exhibition is. They literally played it live for the first time at their first ever live show on the same bill as Jimi Hendrix. That takes balls, doesn't it? it does. I mean, serious balls. And what I love about it is that you've got, it's a kind of a weird mixture because it, it, you know, it, it, it takes all of the themes from, from pictures and exhibition, which I also love as a classical piece. Um, but the sage, and from your point of view, Austin, you probably must know that you must know that song. Um, it's, it's Greg Lake's, it's his, it's his best bit of acoustic playing. Most people would say that, but it was originally from another album. And they just kind of, because it worked in the thread of pictures at an exhibition, they just nailed it into the middle of it. Um, and then there's this lunatic track, the Hut of Baba Yaga, which is a mix of Hammond organ and then Moog. Um, and um, 
and it's and it's um, Keith Emerson at his virtuoso crazy best. Um, it's, it's just a brilliant album. I, I play it to death still. Um, interesting note for um, you, Colin. You being the, um, the stato amongst us, um, it was uh, it was only released in the US after there were so many import purchases that they could no longer ignore it. Um, oh, and when really? they did release it, it went to number 10 on the Billboard 100. And um, it was also third um, uh, in the UK, top three in a year. So they had three UK top threes, not in a calendar year, but over the space of 12 over months. Over the space of 12 months. This was number three, yeah. Like a super group, really, when they, Emerson, oh, like and Palmer. I mean, just all virtuoso geniuses musically, yeah, for sure. I still think there's a bit of a cheat. We did a, I don't know whether you listened to the covers show we did, Austin, but. <laughs> yeah, I, Pete, I did, as a matter of fact. You did, excellent. <laughs> well, then, well, Pete, Pete put the whole album as a cover. I wanted, we wanted like 10, 10, was it? I can't remember. 10 covers? No, 20. It was 20 covers. 10, Sorry, 20 cover songs, classic <laughs> covers. And it um, sort of a, a bit of a cheat. He put pictures of an exhibition by Emerson Lake and Palmer in there. The it whole is, it is album a is a cover, yeah. But look, yeah. As, I said, look, as I probably said to you in the show, look, every bit of classical music is, is a cover, really, isn't it? But, yeah. But I, I did include that on my list of yours. It's not in line. You knew it. You knew it. Right. Okay. Let's uh, wrap up these other ones. Then, what have we got next, Austin? Okay, so Lee Michaels fifth. Uh, now uh, you mentioned so that the other day, didn't you? I, I did. So uh, you can only really get his uh, his self titled, which was his third album and fifth, and maybe compilations uh, these days. Uh, I think the rest of it's gone out of print. But uh, uh, he was uh, he was basically a, a California psych rocker, uh, like singer slash Hammond organ player. Um, and his drummer, um, what's his name, uh, uh, Bartholomew Smith Frost, or Frosty, okay. who was uh, had had a big reputation as a drummer. Um, uh, does a, this massive drum solo on the self-titled album that uh, that John Bonham lifted a few ideas off for Moby Dick. So the, the story goes. Uh, well, I can hear it at, at least. Um, and uh, for fifth, uh, Lee Michaels went with um, an R&B approach. Uh, so he, he pivoted from the, the, the psych rock that had been playing and, and did an R&B album. And it's a really short album. Like most of the songs are just shy of three minutes and it's five minutes per side. So like it clocks in at like 27 or 28 minutes. It's a really fast listen, but it's just a good time rave up. Um, the two big tracks are... Uh, do you know what I mean? Which uh, we had um, uh, a cover uh, version here in Australia by Renee Gaya uh, about ten years later, and keep the circle turning, which is probably far less well known, but uh, but uh, my personal favourite on the album. I'm just looking at the track listing here. Yeah, I mean you said it's an R and B album. I do I do see uh, two or three covers like Willie and the Handjive. Uh, Johnny Otis song at Johnny Otis show. Yeah. Um, can I get a witness? Can I get yeah, a witness? Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. That's the Holland Dozier Holland song. Yeah. Um, and and Yah Yah as well. Um, so yeah, a few covers on there. Something else to look out for. 
that, mm. correct me if I'm wrong, that was, a, that was the album that you, you wrote to David Hepworth to complain it's not in his list. <laughs> That's the one. Yeah. yeah, he was very gracious about it. Okay. I've had uh, quite a few uh, exchanges with David Hepworth on Twitter. He seems like a very good guy. So, good man, good man. Next up, Pete, what you got? Well, so I, I'm down to my last two now because we yep. have my, we've had my numbers two and one. Um, yes. So uh, good, we all agree on this. Uh, right. So my number four is um, another prog classic, uh, "The Land of Graham Pink" by Caravan. Oh, which is um, there was this whole Canterbury scene. So Caravan, Camel, Soft Machine, Hatfield in the North, Gong, um, or bits of Gong. Um, and, and it was a real, you know, when you think about Canterbury, tiny little town with a big cathedral and, you know, Thomas a Beckett, that's Canterbury. Um, right. but, um, but this amazing music scene that came out of it and Caravan, um, Pie Hastings um, and uh, the Sinclairs, um, it was their third album. Um, if you don't know it, the, the artwork is just amazing. I mean, it, it is just the artwork on it. You buy the album for the artwork, never mind the content. It's just the detail is beautiful. Very kind pink, of, from what I can see. Yes, very pink. Um, yeah. With it, yeah, the, the grand pink, you know. Yeah. That's what it says on the tin. Yeah. It was released on Deram, which was the Decca prog label. Yeah. Um, it didn't chart, but it's been on the catalogue since it was released in 1971, which gives a good indication of the fact that it has a real cult following. Um, it was released in April of that year, and then at the beginning of 72, they released Waterloo Lily, which kind of took them in a slightly different direction. But again, it's one of those albums which is difficult to fault. And um, the uh, the second side is a twenty. Uh, you know me and my twenty five minute epics. I do love a mm. twenty five minute epic. Definitely. Um, Nine feet underground is uh, very definitely a prog classic um, with um, you know all kinds of uh, different movements. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just a great album. Golf Girl, uh, Winter Wine. Um, the land of grey and pink itself and again yeah. real wonderful spaced out lyrics you know in the land of grey and pink where only boy scouts stop to think um <laughs> we'll be going back again or they'll be going back again those nasty grumbly grimlies they'll be climbing down your chimney they'll be trying to get in what the hell were they smoking nobody <laughs> but it was you know it's an absolutely brilliant album so yeah and i thoroughly to recommend it's a, it's a, an absolute cult classic Glorious nonsense, as uh, glorious nonsense. might call it. Yeah, yes, glorious nonsense. We okay, have. caravan. Yeah, I, I knew we were going to get a lot of prog, prog from you. I must admit, had to be in it in seventy one. Right for my my calculations, we've got three left. Uh, right? One, two got, from Austin. Two from Austin. You've got two, two right. from Austin and one from Pete. Oh, I think left. Is that right? Yeah. So you're number two. Okay, Shuggy Otis, Freedom Flight. So Shuggy was the uh, was the son of Johnny Otis, uh, who had well, a just mentioned, in the, yeah, yeah Willie and the Handjive, yeah, um, and uh, and Shuggy actually played in his father's band. He was uh, he, he was so young that they used to like pencil a moustache on him to uh, to make him look older uh, <laughs> and try, try try and sneak him in. Uh, yeah, that that would have been uh, he, he it, that would have been a great great way to grow up. 
Um, So anyway, what's distinctive about Freedom Flight is that he was 17. He recorded it all himself. I don't know if he played all the drums, but he he was a multi-instrumentalist. Side one is uh, is five, uh, like pop slash R&B slash uh, rock tracks, including the immortal Strawberry Letter 23, which the brothers Johnson would later record with Quincy Jones uh, on the at the helm. Uh, and then side two is these uh, these uh, two uh, jams, basically a blues jam, and then a kind of an art rock space out. And the blues jam is called Purple. Uh, which has got some ferocious guitar soloing and uh, like a, a and a bass solo in the middle of it. Um, I think uh, it's uh, it's likely that it was a seminal influence on Prince. Really? Uh, well, the name of the song's a little bit of a giveaway. I think <laughs> probably yeah. yeah. Shuggy as a, a as a as a figure like multi instrumentalist. Mm. Uh, yeah. Um, just this, just this noticed. Was- Sorry, I'll just sugar Otis on the album. Lead and backing vocals, guitar, bass, organ, piano, drums, bells, bottleneck guitar, tack piano. So he's basically he's basically Steve Winwood then. Yeah, yeah, about that. Johnny Otis was playing on it as well, actually. A little bit of percussion and backing vocals. Yeah. Yeah. He uh he he did a uh, like a jazz rock album a couple of years later that uh, that the record label like just dropped like a stone and he was uh, apparently so um so upset with that that he quit the the music industry for years mm. uh, so this freedom flight kind of stands as his his big artistic statement uh, that's another one i don't know i've got a lot of, no, uh, like, a lot of research to do man. yeah me neither so there's there's a there's a couple there two or three now probably that i'll have to cool. have to dig out um so we're left with one each. Um, the big build-up for yours is actually number three now, I suppose, Pete, is it? Yes, my, my number three. Because you've done them in a bit of a I've seen stolen one and two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, my number three, I'm 99.9% certain you'll have on the list of things that Pete's going to choose. Yeah. It is uh, oh, oh, can I tell you? by the Allman Brothers. I was going to say live at Fillmore East, yeah. Yeah, live at Fillmore okay. East. Um, interesting album. Um, the first two albums, as well, we talked about this when we talked about the debut albums, didn't we? The first yeah. two albums did nothing, um, but that was because they were, you know, they were a live band. And so Tom Dowd, the great Tom Dowd, uh, basically collated stuff from a pair of gigs that they did, um, showcased what they did best, long live jams. Um, the 22-minute version of Whipping Post is a classic of the kind of southern blues rock sound um the dickie betts duane allman um exchanges um on hotlanta and on the memory of elizabeth reed they're so good they just they're kind of like liquid they mix in together it's you know they're just everything just gels um beautifully um and then um you know elizabeth reed is just a wonderful track anyway um and it went to number 13 on the Billboard 100 and that was it, you know, then Brothers and Sisters and Eat a Peach went, you know, and uh, an and establishment. But it was the last, it was the last album with the classic lineup because it was released, I think, in February, March of um, 71 and Duane was killed in October. So that's that on the bike, was it? On the motorbike yeah, crash. motorbike and then Barry Oakley was killed pretty well the same time. Same spot, you know, wasn't it? And pretty well in the same spot, yeah. yeah. Wow. He had a collection. He had a collision with a with a peach lorry, 
Hence the Hence Eater Peach. Eater Peach. Really? Yeah, that's why it's called Eater Peach. Why am I? So, yeah, but I mean... It's fascinating, the backstories of some of these things. But this album, you know, we talked about it on the live albums, didn't we? It, it, it really is, it, for me, it's everything that a live album should be. It just, just, it's the quintessential sound of the Almonds. It was, on Gra- it was on Graham's list as well, by the way. Yeah. So I'll give him a shout out for that one. Not surprised. Um, that's me. That's you done. Okay, so we've got one more. Your big number one then, Austin, is it? Yeah, well, it's uh, it's not in any particular order. But, okay, uh, but the last final, one. Final one, um, which uh, I mentioned at the top of the show, Joni Mitchell's Blue album. Yeah. Now, not really a rock album. Uh, it's it's a folk album it's solo as as journey's early albums uh pretty much all were uh so it's just her and a piano or a guitar or a dulcimer um and it's it, it when when it first uh when it was first released it made uh, a lot of her contemporaries wince uh at the um at the rawness and vulnerability of her lyrics they're like mm. do you really want to say that in a song so it was it was uh groundbreaking uh, in, in terms of uh like singer songwriter expression like what what was allowed what was what you know what was possible what uh what you you know what what you could do with the uh, with the songwriting form? Um, it's a very personal album, wasn't it? Very like I- intensely personal, uh, and and yeah, it's all awesome. it's all the more beautiful for it. And and Joni Mitchell could be ve- very cutting. She she could be quite uh, like scathing and and have a very critical eye in her kind of uh, observations in her lyrics. And this one is uh, is just very. Uh, vulnerable and reflective, uh, mm. so it makes it it makes it an easy. I mean, we're used to this kind of vulnerability in in like songwriter storytelling now, so it it doesn't come as a surprise to us the way it it, it must have done when it when it first when it first came out. Yeah, but I, like yeah, a, I, a, a case of you is is the the big song that um, uh, is just uh, yeah like a like ex- explosive in in its. Um, descriptiveness uh mm. what is it uh, uh that like i uh, drew a map of canada with your face on it twice and um like yeah just extraordinary uh imagery it's a beautiful, album. beautiful yeah. album yeah i'm sure pete probably would have had it if it had expanded it beyond yeah, yeah, his well i would have had that about tapestry thing. i would have had there's a riot going on but you know yeah but blue, blue was on my list as well so obviously we both sort of spread out a little bit to that um I think I'm right in saying then it, it was it was written, it was a very personal album if we both as we all agree um, it was written just po- post her relationship with Graham Nash I think maybe it was just was it Graham Nash or James Taylor I thought James was- Taylor came after I think she yeah, was no, sort of in a relationship with James Taylor probably while she was recording it so there's a lot going on there they maybe. were recording at the same time weren't they because that's the beginning of the David Hepworth book. Carol King's recording Tapestry, Joni Mitchell's recording Blue, and James Taylor's recording whatever album he was doing. Slime, mud slime. In the same studio <laughs> complex at the same time. Yeah, so, you've got a friend they both recorded. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, excellent album. Probably, probably viewed as one of the greatest sounds of all time, actually, I would have yeah, said. It's a wonderful album. It was in my list, as I said. Um, 
that's both of you done 10. I, I've got uh, a, a great bunch of albums there, but there were so many more, weren't there? Um, Black well, Sabbath, David Bowie. The yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I'll just, just quickly, because we were running out of time, I think. So um, I have put in my 10 for the albums. I've said Every Picture Tells a Story and Blue and Led Zepp 4. Um, but I've actually also included... Um, Sticky Fingers. Which is on my reserve list. Which was, um, you know, it was the first album that the Stones had on um, on their own label, I think, wasn't it? It was a real rocky back to, back to what they were best at doing, I think, after a period of experiment with different sort of stuff. It was a back-to-basic sort of album. Brown Sugar, I mean, you know, what can else, what else can you say about Brown Sugar? Um, so that was incredible. A great cover, yeah, with the zip. I mean, a 1970s, this whole set, early 70s thing about the music and the and the artwork being so important, and it's just a clever cover to mm. go with what was a great album. So uh, another few might, might I mean, I've got Who's Next in there by the Who. Yeah, I've got that on my reserve list. So I thought, I, I think that's their best album. Uh, with Barbara O'Reilly, Won't Get Fooled Again. Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah, the um, triumvirate. Oh, some great, great songs on that. Um, oh, no, I didn't put that in my 10. Um, I've put in as a as a, uh, a seminal album in a way that um, was a change of style and it was rather than the folky sound, it went to a more sort of flamboyant, pop-friendly sound, which became glam rock course and he is the king of glam rock mr bolan it's got the electric warrior warrior yeah that was on my reserve list too Uh, so i did have three of yours yeah um (laughs) with well jeepster life's a gas get it on um again and of course tony visconti producing and uh and adding yeah string arrangements yeah Good old yes, Tony. Great. Um, so I had to have that in there. Um, another one I've got, you know, let it for me mentioned. Oh, Hunky Dory. Yeah, that was on my list. Bowie. Uh, that was on my list for you too. So yeah. Yeah, I'm up to four now. <laughs> <laughs> you beat me. You beat me. Hunky Dory, the first yeah. of his, the triumvirate of albums. I love that word, the triumvirate. Um, Hunky Dory, Ziggy Stardust and Aladdin Sane. I think Hunky Dory is probably my favourite. Um, it, just a question for you. Yeah. I don't want to butt in, but so that is, it is his triumvirate. But is he the only rock star who then had a second triumvirate? Are you talking about the Berlin albums? Yeah. So um, the Berlin albums oh, are very much a triumvirate as well, aren't they? I suppose they are. I don't like them as much, I must admit, as the original three. No, um, and I don't either. But I mean, it, yeah, <laughs> I see what you mean. The, the uh, heroes, yeah, heroes, station, low. station, and low, yeah. yeah, station, station, and low, yeah, good albums. Um, I think as everyone, anyone knows me with, would know that I, those three albums I like. I, I couldn't like. I wouldn't like to say that if we didn't do anything after 1974, 1975, you know, that wouldn't be the case because. <laughs> I do like some of the stuff that he did after that as well. Um, that was also on Graham's list, as well as Sticky Fingers, uh, Blue, 
Let's uh, it for Hunky Dory. What's going on? Which, of course, a lot of people, even Rolling Stone, I think they've just done a new, haven't they done a new top, uh, probably an album. Oh, top 500. Best. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's so yeah, yeah. it's yeah, terrible. That's it probably, in, probably in there. Um, can is probably up your street as well. Tago Mago. Tago Mago. Yeah. Uh, the Doors LA Woman. Yeah, that was also on my reserve uh, the beach boy surfs up which i did have on my list but not on the 10 it was just outside um and of course i've forgotten two from my list actually which was of course tapestry which i had to have in there uh, a bit like blue i had to have that in there and a, 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 a sort of a poppy album i would say too and i love it it's one of those albums i don't it's got a duff track on it and that's Simon and Garfunkel's Bridge Over Troubled Water. Yeah, great. Well, now, Cecilia is an awful song. Agreed. Now, what I'm asking. Well, that's, that's it's the rest of the album. I'm, o- I'm overruled on that one then. I'm overruled. <laughs> but, but that Bridge Over Troubled Water, the, the title song, um, I think it was the last song they recorded for the album, actually, wasn't it? Yeah. I yeah. think. I think. But, yeah, absolute. Classic in, in a let it be, as Paul Simon sort of said once. Style, um, I think he regrets probably getting Art Garfunkel to do all the vocals on it, though. Um, and another couple which a bit random thrown in there because I did love at the beginning of the 70s, 70 and 71, 71 album. I do probably the first after the. Hard Day's Night album and the best of the Seekers that I had, as I told Austin last week in the 60s, because uh, I was too young really to have anything else. The first probably album I remember having properly was Mungo Jerry. And it was an album called Electronically Tested. Mm. Is that, has that got In the Summertime on it? It does have In the Summertime. There are lots of different versions. The one I did have In the Summertime on it, but it had some great... Ray Dawson's That's just songs. a great summer song, isn't it? Oh, it's a, it is a great song, yeah. yeah. Um, and they're, the they're other... pretty, pretty fruity lyrics. Yes. If her daddy's rich, you know, take her out for a meal. If her daddy's poor, <laughs> yeah. just do what you feel. Yeah. yeah. I, heard that, I heard that just this week and went, what? What? Yeah, that's 1971 <laughs> for you. Well, it was a hit in yeah. 1970, well, actually. Well, like Brown Sugar, for example, that's been banned off most playlists these yeah, days. Yeah, true. I mean, in the summertime, they it got into a bit of trouble, didn't it? It got banned. Oh, yeah, they had to change the lyrics because of the. it was sort of advertising, promoting drink driving yeah, with the, you right. know, um, take her out, have a drink, have a drive, go out and see what you can find or something, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, Mungo Jerry. And I couldn't go the whole show without mentioning status quo. And... Dogger Two Head, yeah. Dogger Two Dogger Head two was. Yeah. I mean, it was the last of their Pie albums, um, and uh, it sort of didn't really get to the the real meat of what they sounded like with their with Pile Driver and Beyond the following year. But it was certainly on the way to it. That was a good album. It was, it, it was a it was a good album. Uh, I would have included John Lennon's Imagine. I know. Austin is not a great Imagine fan. Well, I, I knew you would. I thought you would choose Imagine. Well, I, I would have imagined. I, I, you said we have so many. Um, there's one song on the album I'm not so keen on, so that sort of put it 
Dan, and it wasn't imagined. Okay, so here's a question. So at what point did you dump Nilsson Schmilson off the list? Nilsson Schmilson was there as well, another great I album. I was certain you'd choose that. I know, it's there, it's there. You've I let just... me down. Sorry. <laughs> I've got Imagine and Nilsson Schmilson on my guess at Colin's top ten. <laughs> You've let me down I've badly. let you down there badly. <laughs> Terry, sorry. Um, so I didn't include American Pie, of course, as well. Um what else we've got? They've got the first ELO album. You've got The Move, Message from the Country. Um, David Crosby's first one, if I could uh, only remember the name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Alice Cooper. Aqualung, Jethro Tull. I thought you might yeah, have that one in there. No, well, okay. So uh, these, uh, to see if Austin knows any of these. Okay. So I've got Aqualung was on my, because yeah. uh, I've got those ones that you just said, Cole. So I've got yeah. Aqualung. I've got Tarkus by ELP, which was, which has got, um, the, the, which has got Tarkas on it, um, and that was just that was right at the beginning of the year, and um, pictures and exhibition was right at the end. Yeah. Um, I've got Four Way Street, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Oh yeah, okay. that's on my list here, but yeah, didn't make it in. I've got um, Jimi Hendrix's Cry of Love. And that one I didn't have down. Uh, was, that a, was that an album or a compilation? Well, it was the one that he did after the experience um i can't remember the order now i've got everything i've got all of his stuff um but it's the one where he kind of he was contractually obliged to produce something or other and i think that was cry love it might have been rainbow bridge i think it was cry love anyway i've put it in there because it's hendrix um <laughs> this is for you cole um mm. nantucket sleigh ride by mountain <sighs> Yes, because <laughs> we had we had the mountain conversation last. Week. It's a great album, isn't it, Austin? Yeah. Brilliant. Oh album. yeah, like just yeah, Please. yeah. That, those first two albums from Mountain are just uh, like Leslie fantastic. West and Felix Papalardi. They were just brilliant. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I was telling I, we were having a conversation about theme from Imaginary Western, which um, which, which Cole didn't know, and he didn't know the Green Slade version either, which I was very upset about. Got to um, got to put a shout out to Corky Lang as well, like the drumming on "Don't Look Around." Oh yes, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, fantastic. No, it's a, it's a trivial. And then the other one I add, which this is very much English kind of rocky on the borders of prog, um, Uriah Heap, Look at Yourself. And it was a really good album because it kind of like had a mirror front. And you, so when you looked at the album, you were looking at yourself. That's um, a debut, was it? It, no, no, it was no. about number three. Was was about three yeah. they, had, they had two in 1971. They had Salisbury and then they yeah. had... Um, look at yourself, but look at yourself is really interesting because July morning, which is a kind of crossover prog, rock, heavy rock classic, has got Manfred Mann playing Moog on it because he basically played on everything, didn't he? Um, but then, but then the title track, Look at Yourself, has got the entirety of Ossie Beesa's rhythm section playing on really? it. Really? Yeah. Wow. So you've got a mixture of so you've got Ken Emsley and Mick Box and. Um, Lee Kerslake doing the kind of rock thing, and then you've got this epic um, backing from uh, from Osibisa, who I also like. Um, so anyway, yeah, I threw those in as well because I thought they were all classics of the genre. To little little bit of yeah, and I love Uriah Heap. Um, little bit of uh, uh, New Zealand trivia for you, Colin. Uh, Peter Dawkins, the producer I mentioned uh, last week, uh, who mm. worked on like Dragon and Australian Crawl and uh, a bunch of a bunch of other bands in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, used to play in a band himself with uh, Gary Thane, who then left for England and uh, and joined Uriah Heap for the yeah. album 
following look at yourself, Demons and yeah. Wizards. Great bass player. But Demons and Wizards is their classic. I mean, the Demons and Wizards, but it's 1972, so yeah. sadly doesn't count. Otherwise, it would have been there. Well, movie. look, guys, we could go on all night or all day in Australia, <laughs> <laughs> but we'll have to put an end to it. Um, some great albums. It was a classic year. Um, I look forward to doing other years, actually. Um, the 71 was... 73 is a good year for me, actually, as well, but yeah, 71, 71 but started it all, really, I would say. Um, so thanks uh, to Austin once more for joining us from Down Under. Absolute pleasure. And Pete in On The Bed Bucks Border. Uh, good to meet um, you, Austin. Good fun. Yeah, sure. and it was, yeah, it, was uh, it was a good chat. Um, this podcast will be posted to uh, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Casts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course it will be on the Off Record uh, Facebook page and the CBW Productions uh, Facebook page as well. Um, that's it. We'll have to go, I think. And uh, thanks to you both again. And thanks to Shaggy in the background there. Um, so it's, for the moment, good night from me. And it's good night from him. And it's good night to you. Thank you very much. Not off. Not off. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right. <laughs>